Everybody, this is uh, Donna Garrett. She's going to come up and read the word for us this morning. Yeah. I'll explain who I am here in a second. Well, you can explain now. If anybody doesn't know, you, you need to tell them who you are. I'll, I'll tell them. I don't, I'm not sure I'm on here, though. Am I on? I'm on. Okay, wonderful. I'm Dave Burton, everybody. Uh, yeah. I used to be the pastor here. Uh, Jeremy and his family are on vacation uh, this week, so pray for them. And I get to open the word for us this morning, which I'm excited about. So, Donna, please okay. read for us. Matthew, the 13th chapter, 44 through 45. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's, uh, let's just pause for a sec. Um, I'm going to ask you to do something a little silly, but close your eyes for a second and, and just be still for a moment. I'm going to walk over there and get my LaCroix, uh, and then I'm going to pray for us. <laughs> <laughs> That really wasn't about me coming to get my LaCroix. Lord, we need you. Uh, I need you. Uh, Father, pray uh, as we open your word uh, this morning uh, that it, it would not return void, uh, but that it would go out and accomplish uh, what you have purposed it to do. Uh, we need to hear from you. Um, so much of my life is spent uh, running after and seeking to hear different voices. Um, but I know, at least in a moment of sanity right now, that I need to hear from you. So speak. Uh, get me out of the way. And would you show up in your name? Amen. Okay. So when I was a kid, uh, I'm 40, almost 48. Uh, this was pre-DVRs and uh, recorded television. So when something was on TV, uh, you had to actually like plan for it and organize your life around it. Uh, and there was a, I guess he's a journalist, uh, Geraldo Rivera. Yeah? You guys know, is, is Geraldo still on TV? He is? He is? Okay. So in 1986, he had a, a TV special, um, The Mysteries of Al Capone's Vaults. Who, who actually saw this? Oh, I love this. At least a few of us will understand what in the world I'm talking about. Right? Al Capone, this uh, organized, or not organized, yeah, organized crime gangster in Chicago, right? Uh, had owned the Lexington Hotel, um, and there was this rumor that underneath the Lexington Hotel, there were all these rooms that had been sealed off, and so that people were in search of breaking into these rooms and, you know, discovering all the lost treasures uh, that Al Capone had. It's like 30 million people tuned in to watch this. Um, all these series, they'd like blow up a room's wall and they'd like come in there and all the dust and everything. And then eventually it was just like a couple file cabinets with some useless papers. And they'd be like, let's go to commercial break. And then they'd do it again. Three hours we watched this. Nothing was found, Right? Never found anything of value. Still, what kept me and kept, I believe, us glued to the TV was this. Don't we love, I know I do, 
this idea that we could be a part of discovering something of incredible value that's maybe been hidden or that's been lost or concealed, that I could be a part of discovering something of incredible value and that if I discovered that thing, life would never be the same because of it, right? That was what kept me glued to the TV. Are we going to discover it even though I'm not there? Are we going to discover it, right? So much of our hearts love that idea, discovering something of incredible value that's been hidden or lost, that if I were to have discovered that, life would never be the same. So this parable that we're going to look at this morning that Jesus is teaching his disciple gets at the heart of that idea and that desire from a couple different vantage points. But before we, we get into it, I'm going to give you a few points here. I want us uh, to ask this question first. Uh, and this is an important question, not just for this parable, but it's important every time you open the Bible, and it's this. Is this parable or this passage of Scripture primarily about us or about God? Okay? Is this teaching us about us or about Him? And I'll argue, I'll get to us eventually, both. It's teaching about both things. But we're going to start with what is it teaching us about God? Because that is ultimately the best place to start. And it's often not the place we start when we look at anything, right? I was, someone showed me a picture that I was in of a bunch of other people. We were all together. Guess where I looked the first? As soon as I look at the picture, who am I looking for? Me, right? Because me loves me some me, right? So <laughs> I'm looking at me. That's where we start all the time. And oftentimes when you start in the wrong place, you won't get to the right destination. So let's start with God, and then we'll eventually look at us. Because Jesus is, he's telling this parable to describe something. The first few words should be important to us. The kingdom of heaven is like, right? I'm trying to teach you uh, ultimately about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And why is he using a parable to do that? Let me just say something briefly about parables. Parable, parables are metaphors, right? They're stories, that ultimately Jesus uses, he used a lot of them, uh, to reveal, to teach what is hidden or what is tough to grasp or what is important that sometimes maybe doesn't seem quite as important to us on surface value. He does that through teaching in a parable, through a story, to get to our imaginations. One commentator said it like this, Jesus used a parable because a parable is like a house in which the listener is invited to come in and take up residence. And then the person is urged by the parable to look on the world through the windows of that residence. So this story is given to us saying, come on in, take up residence, sit in this with me for a little bit, and then look on the world through the windows of that residence. So what does this very short but very important parable teach us about God, about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, and then about us. Oftentimes I've, taught that, I've heard this taught in reverse. This is primarily teaching us about us, right? Yes, it's teaching us about the kingdom. It's teaching us about us. We're going to go in reverse. Here we go. Three things. The king of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about that first, right? Because it's a kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven, but there's no kingdom without a king. So the king of the kingdom of heaven, the cost of the kingdom of heaven, and then lastly, the call of the kingdom. All right? 
The king and the kingdom, the cost of the kingdom, the call of the kingdom. Everybody still with me? It's a little quiet. I know. I probably need to work. Need to work up. Yeah, yes. I need some cheering. Maybe a joke or something in there, right? The king and the kingdom of heaven. So the parable begins, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. The kingdom of heaven is like. Well, ultimately, all kingdoms reflect whoever is king of the kingdom, right? I got to go up to Ohio to a really famous golf course called Muirfield Village. Uh, the big tournament is played there every year called the Memorial. And it's a course that Jack Nicholas built. Even if you're not a golfer, you know who Jack Nicholas is, right? No? The sports? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And when we got there, I mean, it's amazing. It's incredible. You know, it's just beautiful and it's gorgeous. But the first thing when we walked into the clubhouse, the guy basically ushered us into this room. And it was just this room upon room of monuments to Jack, right? Here's all his trophies. Here's everything he's accomplished, right? The kingdom of Muirfield Village reflected the king of Muirfield Village, which was Jack. So the kingdom of heaven, if we're going to talk about what the kingdom of heaven is like, we can't talk about that without talking about who the king is. What's he like? Because the kingdom of heaven, in scripture, that's synonymous with saying the kingdom of God. It's more than just a place, right? It's more than just a place. I think sometimes when we think about heaven, we only think about it in terms of it, it, it's this destination, right? It's this place that one day when we die, that's where we're going. It's much bigger than that. It's not, not that. It's just more than that. It's more than just a place. John Piper says it like this. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven, because this is what we think of when we think of heaven, with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities that you've ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties which you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict, no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? When we talk about heaven, when we think about heaven, we think about it as a place. And as a place where all the things I just read are true, but do we think about heaven where King Jesus is, where he's at the center of all things? So when the phrase kingdom of heaven is, is used, when Jesus is using it, he's not just talking about it as this place where, yes, there will be no more sorrow and no more sickness and no more human conflict, no more competition, all the things that our lives are completely mired by. Yes, that will be true, but when he says kingdom of heaven, he's speaking about a reality that we're not waiting for someday, a reality that can be present right now where God is ruling and reigning in our lives rightly over everything and where us, his people and his creation are in right relationship to him. That's what it means, the kingdom of heaven. Where who he is and his being and his character and his power and his glory are on full display in all aspects and where we're in right relationship with him. Because anybody who heard that kingdom of heaven in that day, the audience of that day, they understood kings and kingdoms, right? They were familiar with kings and with rulers and oftentimes bad kings and bad rulers. They were ruthless. They were selfish. So Jesus, he's contrasting his kingdom up against the kingdoms of the world. He's saying this kingdom is different. 
This is where I rule. This is where I reign. Where everything's in its right order. And when, where you and I are in right relationship. One commentator said it like this. Jesus employed the phrase kingdom of heaven to indicate that perfect order of things which he was about to establish. That perfect order of things. Why would he have to do that? Because since the fall of man, since Genesis 3, since Adam and Eve, the entire world, Scripture says, has been disordered because of sin. Right? The world and everyone and everything in it is disordered because of what sin has done to us. Not just what sin I do, what sin has done to the world. I have disordered loves. I love the wrong things. I love the right things in the wrong ways. I overlove certain things and underlove other things. I'm disordered because of sin. But Jesus employs this phrase to say, this is the perfect order of things that I'm about to establish in which all those from every nation who should believe in him would be gathered together in one society, listen to this, dedicated and intimately united to God and made partakers of eternal salvation. The kingdom of heaven is where God is first, where God is in the highest position of value, and therefore what he values becomes what we value. That's why, remember earlier, part of why we're in this Kingdom Come series, we were in the Lord's Prayer. It's why we're taught to pray something in the Lord's Prayer, which prayer, again, what is that? It's coming to the Lord in prayer in order to have our hearts and our minds and our wills aligned and conformed to his on all things. Prayer changes me, not God. It, it brings my heart into his heart. And what do we pray in that prayer? Our Father who what? Who art in heaven, where the kingdom of heaven, reality, hallowed, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yes, I come to him as a father, but I also come to him as a king. With a kingdom where his will and his way are the way that things go. Ultimately this, where he is king and where I am not king. So we have to ask this question, because this parable kind of suggests this, right? That I find the kingdom, and then I go buy the kingdom. Right? How do we become a part of the kingdom of heaven? How do I get in? Well, the prayer itself, the Lord's prayer is this. Thy kingdom come. Hang with me here. I know, because I doubt many of you have been led to think about this parable this way. Thy kingdom come to us. It's basically a prayer saying this, move towards me. Come find me. Because if this is about me coming to find you, and about me doing all the searching, and about me doing all the purchasing, then I'm in trouble. I can't move towards you. Scripture says I'm dead in my trespasses and in my sin. I'm bankrupt. How am I going to come find you? How we 
find the kingdom of heaven is it finds us. How do I get into the kingdom? The Son of Man, listen to this, Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Isaiah 65, 1. What does he say? I mean, this blew my mind. I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that, I, that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. What's that saying? I'm found by those who aren't even looking for me. You hear it? God, I hope you hear it. He finds us. Heaven isn't simply some place, it's someone. The one our hearts are searching for, your heart is searching. But you cannot find him until he first finds you. You don't find heaven, you don't buy heaven. Heaven finds you. It comes for you. He comes for you. This is so important to understand. Vital. This parable can, cannot mean simply this. You discover the kingdom of heaven and then from your own means you purchase it for yourself. Don't you see that would make you and I the hero of the story? That would make us the center of the story. That's why Jesus, when talking with the rich young ruler, right, he's saying what? How do I get into the kingdom? How do I get into the kingdom? What do I got to do to get eternal life? Jesus kind of says, well, keep all the, you know, the laws and the commands. He's like, I've already done all that. He's like, so finally, eventually, what does Jesus do? He finds something he can't do. He finds something he can't give away. He finds what he's not willing to sell. And he pushes on that. And what is it happens for the rich young ruler? It says he went away sad. Right? But Jesus wasn't trying to shame him. He was trying to wake him up and say this, how you get into the kingdom isn't because of something you give up. It's because of something I gave up. It's what I do. To believe that this means we discover the kingdom and by our own means we purchase it for ourselves would cut against the grain of all of Scripture. That the kingdom comes to us. Jesus finds us. He initiates that's what the king of the kingdom does. And it's by his sheer grace, it's by his mercy, and ultimately the cost that he paid was his own blood. You see how different the king of this kingdom is? Kingdoms, when they were established in the day, kings would come and take over other kingdoms. And what would they do? They'd put to death everyone in order to take over the kingdom. Our king comes and dies to take sin off the throne of our hearts is what happens. That's what gains me and you entrance into his kingdom and into right relationship with him. Blessed are who? The rich in spirit? No, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Isaiah 55, come to me, you who have no money, you who are bankrupt in yourself. And what? Purchase what has real value that your soul may delight in what's of real meaning. Philippians 2, 6, he, though he was in the form of God, Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, taking on flesh, going to the cross. This 
You want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like? It's like that. It's like him. It's like your king. So that's the king of the kingdom. Let's talk about the cost of the kingdom for a second. Ooh, I got to get going. Yes, it costs Jesus everything. We talk about that a lot. We should talk about that a lot. But what does this say, the cost of the kingdom, what does this say about our value to him? Right? I'm going to read the parable again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. In his joy, he sold all he had. Or the merchant, right? He's looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and bought it. With great value, with great joy. Do you believe that? Do you struggle to believe that? That you have that great of value to your king? That he would sell everything? That he would give everything to have you? Because that's what's happened. That's what the gospel says. That I'm, and you, if you're in Christ, you are his now. You belong to him. And until you and I see how treasured we are by the king of the kingdom, I will never become someone who treasures the king and his kingdom and what he treasures. I'm going to say that again. Until you see and I see how treasured we are by the king of the kingdom, I will never become someone who treasures the king and his kingdom and what he treasures. I have to, you have to, we have to be treasured in order to treasure. I have to be sought in order to seek. I have to be valued in order to value. I have to be loved in order to love. Because without that, because of sin, I will always treasure the wrong things. I will always prioritize the wrong things. I will always pursue the wrong gains. I will ultimately this, look for someone or something to give me the value that only being treasured by Jesus can give me. Oh, excuse me. I'd argue that almost all of my anxious striving in this life, whether to get this or to get that or to level up or to get into some new inner circle that I believe if I kind of gain access into that circle, then that's going to be the thing that's going to make me something, that's going to make me someone, that's going to give me the value that I most deeply desire. And yet, isn't this true? And all of that searching, I'm still searching. The heart is never satisfied. It keeps hunting. It keeps searching. Why? Because the secret is in being found, in being treasured. And the only way that our lives will eventually be ordered and value the things that our king values is directly connected by our experience of being valued by the king and how we became a part of the kingdom. That's why David... Psalm 51, David, right? He was king of Israel. And eventually, he stole a guy's wife and then he killed him, right? His life got out of order. And what did David pray in Psalm 51? 
What was his prayer? Restore to me what? The joy of my salvation. Things have gotten out of order because I've gotten out of touch with the fact that you came for me. Restore me to the joy of being chosen by you. Restore me to the joy of being found by you. Restore me to the joy of being redeemed by you. Restore me to the joy that you sold it all for me. I know you. this might be hard to hear. You're the treasure. You're the pearl. Yes, Jesus is a treasure. Yes, Jesus is of great value. But you will never see that until you see how great value you are to him. Our salvation should feel like the joy of the unexpected discovery of the treasure of the pearl of the treasure in the field because of how unlikely it was. That's the point of the parable. How unlikely the discovery was that I was found by him. Like the man in the field who stumbled into his finding, or I could give you a whole doctrinal dissertation on how hard it is to find a real pearl. It's hard, right? It's so unlikely that I was found. You know, no one, you've heard the phrase, find a needle in a haystack? No one who finds a needle in a haystack comes out and says, man, it was because of my super skills that I discovered that needle in a haystack, right? You just simply revel in the discovery. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I found it. My kids, uh, well, at least some of my children are into Pokemon, right? Pikachu. Charizards, you know, I don't know what these things mean. <laughs> One of the great uh, moments in card pack opening is when you, uh, they call it a card pull, right? When you like pull the, the great card, like I got a Mega Gyarados or something like that, right? I don't, again, what does that even mean? But they don't pull it out and go, oh my goodness, I knew it was exactly going to be in this pack, and I knew it was going to be six cards deep in this pack, and it was because I went and found it. No, they just simply revel in the discovery. We don't take credit for that. We find joy in being found and in finding. That's the gospel. We revel in the discovery of being found and claimed by Jesus. Kurt Thompson psychiatrist, doctor, author of a couple of really important books called The Soul of Shame and The Soul of Desire says it like this. We are all born into this world looking for someone looking for us. Yeah, you're searching. You're searching for treasure. But do you know what, what you're searching for? That you're searching to be treasured? But I'm not trying to find something. I'm trying to find someone looking for me. Who's looking for me? Who's searching for me? Who's hunting for me? Who will value me the way that I was made to be valued? Who will love me like that? Who desires me that much? That they would push everything, all of their chips on the table and say, everything for you. That's what the king of the kingdom of heaven has done for you and for me. We have a king like that, whose kingdom is like that who paid that kind of cost for you and me. So now let's talk about us. Lastly, the call of the kingdom. 
So if that's true, everything I just said is true, then how then shall we live? What's the response? If we're his treasure, that's why Jesus says in John 15, remain in my love, remain in being treasured by me. That's why what we're doing right now, small groups, things like that, are so important. Getting into his word, worship, small groups. I have to be reminded all the time of my value to him. When we remain in that, and being treasured by Jesus, we begin actually to take on the very nature of our king. Right? When we experience being treasured and loved and valued and pursued by Jesus, it's transformative, isn't it? Isn't love transformative? Like when you find out that someone treasures you, how does that change your behavior? Right? I, I, I don't have time for the moon boot story. Sometime I'll tell the moon boots story again because many of you haven't even heard it. It is kind of a classic, isn't it? Yeah, when I found out that Angie Mealy, I guess I am going to tell a little bit of it. <laughs> that Angie Mealy, my seventh grade, I wanted her to be my girlfriend. I thought maybe she might be interested in me. And I hated myself because I thought I was fat, right? Because what I valued myself on was my image, right? Still something I struggle with today, right? I didn't value myself because of the things... Jesus values me for. But all I wanted was for her to value me, right? So what did I do? I literally ran every day for a year to try to lose weight, hoping that if I could just become something, she might see me. She might value me. Moon boots is basically this. I ran in the wintertime, and in Indiana, it's really cold, right? I would wear this giant snowsuit and moon boots, and I'd literally lumber through the snow, running by her house, hoping to what? Be seen. My mom would follow me with the hazards on in the car, literally like waving traffic by, right? And here's, why? Because we're all born into this world looking for someone looking for us. Maybe she could value me. Maybe I could be seen by her. Do you know what you're looking for, what you're searching for? You're searching for the transformative love of Jesus, you're searching for him seeing you. And when you experience that, it's transformative. And it makes us like him. Instead of those spending the rest of our lives trying to find the value that we were made for, we live in the value that we have now. Right? I'm free. I, I'm rich now. I don't, go, I don't go look for treasure. I have it. And so now I can empty myself for other people. Right? That's what Philippians 2 talks about. If you have any comfort of being united with Christ, any understanding of his love, then have the same mindset who took on this servant nature and emptied himself. I'm, I'm free now to become the man or the merchant out of joy who goes and gives away everything because I have unlimited treasure in Christ. I can spend and sacrifice gladly because I have what I value most because he has me. I'm valuable to the king. And now the king and what he values, which is what is lost, he values what is lost. That becomes valuable to me. So the people in this neighborhood and in the city who don't know Jesus, they begin to matter to me. They become what's valuable. And I'm the one now with the wealth, the kingdom of God in me, I can go give it away. That's why he says in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. 
You, you don't have to be a treasure seeker anymore. You, you have a treasure. He found you. I can be a treasure giver now. Because we've become those who know the place where true value, where true meaning are discovered, which is being found and belonging to Jesus by his love and by his grace. Would you dare to believe it? That it's that good? That that's what the kingdom of heaven is like? That he went and found you and he bought you. And you are the treasure. You are the pearl. And now you and I are set free to value the king and the kingdom. Because he took sin off the throne of your heart and my heart and he put himself there. So I can be a billboard of his grace and his goodness and his love. I'm literally like a kid at a parade throwing candy now. This is what's good. This is what's true. In a world searching for the value that has only been and able to be found in the eyes of the king. Would you go on that journey? Would you go on the journey of believing that Jesus is still looking for lost people? And because he found you, he's saying, come with me. Would you get curious about who is the king after? I want to be in on that discovery. I want to see other people come to understand and know the value that I've found only in being found by him. Let me pray for us. Lord, I've um, spent and still do. Uh, so many days working hard um, to try to <clears throat> be seen, uh, to try to land the value that can only be found in being found by you. And so, Lord, uh, I know uh, many days I can feel ashamed that I, I don't value your kingdom the way that I should. I don't pursue you the way that I should. I certainly don't sell everything. Uh, I diversify my portfolio. Um, and thank you, uh, Lord, that that's not how you are with me. That you are the committed party. Uh, that you are the one who came and found me and found us. And would uh, the beauty of that wash afresh on our hearts. Uh, we've got this this treasure that we walk past every single day searching for something else to give us what, what we already have. Forgive us. Um, and would you make yourself uh, and give us the grace to see just how beautiful uh, you are uh, and how beautiful we are to you. And would that turn us loose uh, as people in our world um, that is starved for meaning, that is starved for value? What's going to make me worth something um, will we be those uh, who bring the treasure out and say I know the answer to your question uh, I was searching my whole life and it was only to be found so catch us uh, like a good father who runs after his kids would you catch us slow us down will we be still and not only know that you are God, but we are deeply loved.